There's a war on for the soul of our nation. Statues and monuments defaced and toppled. History books bastardized with lies and half-truths. American heroes of the past denounced and abandoned. In this special edition of Hold the Line, we'll examine the efforts to undermine our heritage from the left. Friends, history is under siege. We know that history is more than just a list of facts we find in dusty books. It's more than dates or biographies or first-hand accounts of important events. Those things all, of course, matter. They are history, but also it's a key part of the foundation of any society. America's no different. For generations, Americans have proudly united behind our shared history. It was one uncommon in the annals of world events, a nation built on freedom on the self-evident truth that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Like all people, Americans past and present are flawed. There's no shame in admitting that we haven't always lived up to our principles and ideals, especially the ones set forth in our founding documents. But that never stopped us from revering those ideals and the men who proposed them and fought for them over time. But with the rise of the progressive movement in this country, we're seeing an increased hostility toward America's past. More and more, history has transformed from something we rally around to a topic that divides us. On the left, there's been a concerted effort to reframe history in a way that benefits their ideology, to portray America as a nation that is defective at its very foundations. They've managed to do this by first taking over our academic institutions. They write deeply flawed and misleading accounts of history as well, like the 1619 Project. Now let's, let's look at this one for a moment. This got a tremendous amount of attention last year. In fact, it got a Pulitzer Prize. Now people can argue about their interpretations of history, historiography, looking back at the past and coming up with analysis based upon the facts and the dates that we can all agree on. That's one thing. But don't you have to get the primary facts, the important foundational truths correct? Doesn't that matter? And if you don't, shouldn't you be held to account? Shouldn't people understand that it is a shoddy work of quasi-fiction if you can't get those things correct? Well, you have Professor Gordon Wood, the esteemed professor of American history at Brown University, spoke about the 1619 Project and how it didn't get a couple of little things wrong. We're not talking about a missing comma or a date that's off by a year or a name that's misspelled. Everybody, history and otherwise, makes mistakes. No, we're talking about on big, critical issues that, if they are actually reported on, written about accurately, undermine some of the central, uh, some of the central ideas of the 1619 Project. Here is Professor Wood, a liberal, a man of the left, talking about this celebrated New York Times rewriting of American history. I got my Sunday paper a few months ago and was surprised to see this 1619 project in the Sunday magazine of the New York Times. I had no awareness that it was being done and I had no, I was surprised as many other people were by, by the scope of this thing, especially uh, since it's going to become the basis for uh, high school education and, and has the authority of the New York Times behind it and yet could be so wrong in so many ways. So wrong in so many ways. As he noted, this is also to be taught in schools now. So it's not only commentary presented as history 
but it will also be part of a curriculum. It will be forced to uh, forced into classrooms across the country. Your children will learn that the true founding of America, because that was the initial point of this project, was not 1776. It was 1619 when the first uh, slaves were brought to the uh, brought to the colonies here in what is today's America. That's what they believe the project was all about. Professor Gordon Wood wants to point out that not only is that problematic, but there are just some areas of factual inaccuracy going at this uh, that, that, that have a, a problem for this history. I mean, I think the important point to make about slavery is that it had existed for thousands of years without substantial criticism. Slavery existed in Africa, in the Middle East, in Asia, and of course in Latin America and North America. But it's the revolution that makes it a problem for the, for the world. And the first real anti-slave movement takes place in North America. So this is what's missed by these essays in, in the 1619 Project. The 1619 Project claims that capitalism is an outgrowth of the slave system, for example. It makes enormous, enormous claims that are not supported by fact and not supported by an honest reading of history. But it was all for a purpose. It was political, you see. It was meant to brainwash people and particularly to brainwash future generations who are learning about this stuff in school. Nonetheless, uh, uh, Hannah Nicole Jones uh, was retweeting this, uh, was, was uh, retweeting something that I think we should all understand to get a sense of the individual who was the primary author of the 1619 Project. She shared this over the summer of June of, of 2020. Uh, Last night was the loudest I've ever heard fireworks in my entire life. It sounded like war. The media is reporting this as though it's black and brown kids blowing off steam. I don't believe that's the case. My neighbors and I believe this is part of a coordinated attack on black and brown communities by government forces, an attack meant to disorient and destabilize uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. So let's let's all be very clear here, friends. There was nothing that was truthful about that. There was nothing that was uh, honest about that. And yet it was shared by the primary, the primary author, Nicole Hannah-Jones, of the 1619 Project. That's the person who got the Pulitzer Prize. I just want to, I just want to note, this was a crazy conspiracy theory that she thought people should see, and she shared it from her account. So you have the rewriting of history that's actually occurring here. But then you, you also have the, icon, uh, the iconoclasts on the left, the actual statue topplers, the destroyers of these different monuments. And when you go down a list and see what they want to get rid of, it's not just Confederate monuments. I know that's what they always start on that one because a lot of people say the Confederacy, they were traitors to the country, and there's a difference between respecting a history or celebrating uh, treason and, and racism, right? There's this whole debate that comes up around the Confederacy. But they're not just trying to take down Confederate statues. No, they want to take down uh, statues of Abraham Lincoln, for example, in Boston. This statue was paid for by freed slaves. And yet they still had a movement. They were unsuccessful in this instance, but there was a movement to try to tear this statue down because they didn't like the, the visual of Lincoln putting his hand on the head of an African uh, slave, uh, uh, African-American slave. That was, that was unacceptable to the public. So they wanted to get rid of that. Junipero Serra in June of 2020 in San Francisco, this was a Catholic missionary 
They went after this statue. How many people, oh, and they took it down, you see right there. How many people even knew who this guy was before they tore it down? But whatever they can do to attack our shared history and culture, they will do. Uh, Cervantes, very famous Spanish literary figure, they defaced and destroyed Cervantes. I'm not even really clear how they, they, they just figured it's a statue of an old white guy, so let's destroy that one. Uh, Grant, in June of 2020, they, they tore down and defaced the statue of Grant. They have torn, they have torn down statues and defaced statues of abolitionists, of people who fought in the Union against the Confederacy. They have torn down statues of true American heroes. Why? Because they want to denigrate our shared history as part of their quest to destroy the bonds that we have as a nation and replace it with something else. With their revolutionary leftist fervor, no doubt. Up next, we'll have more on their efforts to rewrite history with Daily Signal columnist and author Jared Stepman. Stay with us. From the legacy of Christopher Columbus right up to the present day, the left has long sought to frame history in a way that casts our heroes as villains and tears down the idea of American greatness. So what's the left's ultimate goal with all this? And more importantly, how do we fight back? Joining us now is the author of The War on History, The Conspiracy to Rewrite America's Past, Daily Signal columnist Jarrett Stepman. Jarrett, great to have you. Uh, thanks for very much for having me, Buck. So how is the left waging war on history these days? Let's just first look at what, what are some of the primary targets? We got what, the founders, Columbus, who, who is in their sights? Well, these days it's pretty much everybody. I mean, I, I think at one time the discussion started with, well, maybe this is about the, the legacy of the Confederacy or something like this. But uh, now we even have Abraham Lincoln coming under fire. The San Francisco Unified School District uh, just ruled essentially that they were going to remove the name of Abraham Lincoln from a high school that he was added to a list of dishonorable people that they need to strip from their schools. A uh, George Washington was on that list too, even an abolitionist who wasn't sufficiently dedicated to the cause. I mean, it's really come for pretty much anybody in history. There really has been no limit to this. The idea that this was going to be a sliding door down uh, has come to fruition, especially in the last year. Give us a, a sense of who, who are some of the, the newer targets, right? I mean, who, who has come into, into a, you know, disrepute according to the left's efforts to rewrite history that weren't, weren't necessarily there in the past? Well, certainly Lincoln. I mean, I think it's pretty remarkable that Washington and Lincoln, two figures that I think are at the very summit of American life, uh, even on Mount Rushmore. I mean, every single figure now on Mount Rushmore has been targeted. Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Theodore Roosevelt, New York City, uh, the Museum of Natural History has decided to pull down a statue of Theodore Roosevelt. They said the statue was offensive. And even Theodore Roosevelt has become offensive. So I think they've once they've actually gotten to the heights of Mount Rushmore in America, what else is left? I mean, really, these are some of the most esteemed uh, men and individuals in American history, the people who made us what we are. If those are the heights they're willing to go, there's nowhere else to go. I mean, they want to tear down the system root, for, root and branch. And that's, that's where it's been. That's where it's gone, even in a short amount of time, even in the last few years. 
Is social media a big part of the acceleration of these efforts? How, how is it that now it, it feels like more than ever uh, these campaigns can get a tremendous amount of, of attention and momentum, can, cancellation campaigns of different aspects of history, whether it's uh, a Gandhi statue, Christopher Columbus statue, uh, there, there was that, that conquistador statue down in New Mexico, right? I mean, all, all of a sudden, it'll be at the top of the headlines. How is this happening? And, and is it happening more frequently or are we just more aware of it? Yeah, I think it's triggered a lot of mobs around the country, especially this summer when we saw such lawlessness and anarchy around the country. And of course, politicians jump ahead of these things. I think they did, in many cases, in many cities, did very little to stop these mobs from doing incredible destruction to, to public property. I, I think that was really what fueled this. I think that the mob feels emboldened. They can get away with what they want. For those who want to tear down American civilization, uh, they feel essentially that the politicians, the establishment, the elite are on their side. They can do this with impunity. And I think that's why we've seen uh, this extend to such a wide range of figures, some that are almost incomprehensible. I mean, when they were tearing down statues of historical figures, they tore down a statue of a, a Dilophosaurus dinosaur on top of it. I think it's just targeting anything that symbolizes America or stands for what America is, uh, is now ripe for being targeted by a mob. What is their ultimate goal here? I mean, do, do, you, do you have some sense from your research of what the left would like America's history to, to read like, if you will, and, and who are our heroes allowed to be? Well, there, there will be no heroes. I think one of the interesting things from that San Francisco district vote is the only dissenting vote was a man who thought that they should have no names on the schools, that they should simply have numbers for the schools. I think a very Orwellian uh, outcome. I think for those who have a, a view of human nature that we're hurtling towards perfection, I think this is a natural, I think, end result of that. When they see, when they look at American history, when they look at human history, it's full of faults. It's full of flaws. Even though these these men and women were great that came before us, they were flawed. For many on the left, that's simply unacceptable. To pave the path to their perfect future, they have to extinguish everything they see, the deplorables of the past and in the present, too. They have to extinguish these things to get to their perfect future. Of course, that future will end up looking like more like something out of 1984 than it will what America has been. Now, Jared, is there a, a growing movement uh, in either academia or in historian circles such as they are to at least be willing to preserve some of these things? I mean, there's always that debate as to whether there should be uh, certain statues and figures should be elevated in the public square. Are they recognizing that, you know, the, the, the Taliban back in the 90s destroyed the Buddhas of Bamiyan and everybody was horrified by that and we recognize that that was a barbarous thing to do? destroying works of art, destroying statues that have been in places in some cases for 100, 150 years, seems like that obviously crosses a line as well. Is there a, a movement growing against this or do they still feel like all the momentum is with the cancelers and the his, uh, historical rewriters? I think that's been one of the most shameful aspects of this is where is the American elite? Where are those who, be, who should be standing in front of this mob and saying, you're not gonna cancel our history? Where's the faculty of Harvard? I mean, many of them are leading on the charge. They're willing to go along with the bomb. I think many who know that what's happening right now is wrong, many who've studied history, but I think they're afraid. I think they're chilled uh, by what they see is this kind of woke cancel culture. If there is any kind of resistance, I think it's regular Americans. I think it's average Americans 
who still have that that kernel of faith in what this country was and is, who uphold this, who teach their kids that George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, these were great Americans. They created this wonderful constitutional system that we have enjoyed that's allowed us to become this great country. I think it's the average Americans who are fighting back against this more than academia, than the intellectual elite, which I think has really abandoned this cause. Jared, thanks so much for joining. We appreciate you sharing your expertise. Thank you very much. All right, coming up, we've got more on our special here. Despite containing numerous inaccuracies and outright lies, the New York Times 1619 Project is considered the gold standard of historical analysis for many on the left. It even got a Pulitzer Prize. When we come back, we'll take a deep dive into the most recent attempt to rewrite American history, the 1619 Project. In August of 2019, the New York Times Magazine published the 1619 Project. At the heart of the historical series was the idea that the United States was truly founded in 1619, the year the first slaves arrived in America. Almost immediately, the project was lavished with praise. It was hailed as groundbreaking, inspiring, innovative. It was given its own section in the New York Times Magazine, had podcasts devoted to it, and was even turned into a curriculum designed to teach students this new version of American history. The series' chief architect, Nicole Hannah-Jones, was awarded the 2020 Pulitzer Prize for commentary. But the 1619 Project was not without its critics, including a number of historians who claimed that the series was rife with inaccuracies, ideological manipulation, and uh, just ignoring a lot of historical fact. In a letter published in the New York Times Magazine, the historians wrote, quote, We are dismayed at some of the factual errors in the project and the closed process behind it. These errors, which concern major events, cannot be described as interpretation or framing. They are matters of verifiable fact, which are the foundation of both honest scholarship and honest journalism. They suggest a, di a displacement of historical understanding by ideology. These historians weren't alone in their critique. Leslie Harris, a professor of history at Northwestern University, who helped fact check the 1619 Project, claims that the Times ignored her. So what was the ultimate goal of the 1619 Project? Well, joining us now is Darren Beatty of Revolver News. He's also a member of the Commission for Preservation of American Heritage Abroad. Darren, thank you so much. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's just start with what really was the, the purpose, which, as I understand it, they've tried to adjust this a little bit, but the 1619 Project was meant to achieve what? Well, I mean, it's it's clearly part of a general theme that's been going on for quite some time to cast America as a fundamentally racist country and to support a certain moral narrative that then can be weaponized politically, weaponized in the sense that you know any serious country wouldn't have the founder of this 1690 project getting any prestigious awards. But we live in a country in which prestige is really an impossibility because no institution is really in a position to convert, confer prestige. Every institution in the country has been exposed as kind of a scam, a fraud, and indeed in many cases actively hostile to the interests of the American people. So one point I would make, like their standard point on this is yes, it's, it's designed to make everyone think America's racist and evil. But I think people should go beyond that and question right now, what is the correct orientation of a patriot in the United States? What 
does patriotism mean now in a time in which every single institution is exposed as a scam and hostile to the American people and broad swaths of the American national security state are being repurposed and redeployed domestically against 70 plus million people being labeled as domestic terrorists. I think it's it's definitely an outrage, but it's also an opportunity for those on the right to reevaluate what patriotism actually can and should mean in this new environment. There was one quote uh, about the founders that stood out as particularly egregious in the 1619 project uh, that my research team here pulled together. Quote, conveniently left out of our founding mythology is the fact that one of the primary reasons the colonists decided to declare their independence from Britain was because they wanted to protect the institution of slavery. That's flat out false, and the New York Times ultimately issued a, clarifica a clarification on the quote. Is there any reason mm -hmm. that a statement like that would appear other than to push an ideological agenda? I mean, how could they get in a project like this something so important so wrong? Right. Well, I mean, it's it's quite clear that uh, it's ridiculous, it's outrageous, but it's not without its methodology. It has a purpose, and the re purpose is to reinforce a certain moral narrative that's weaponized politically and unfortunately has become embedded into and really the operating ethos of every single major institution in this country to the point of being practically our civic religion. And that's a deep problem, and that's something that I think uh, is, is a much bigger problem than this uh, study, this project specifically. Well, were there other areas of the project? I mean, if, if we're looking at just some of the, the, the wrongness of it, the historical factual wrongness, were there other areas that stick out to you? Or, you know, have, do you feel like there has been enough of an effort to fact check and where necessary repudiate the aspects of the 1619 project that are wrong? Well, look, I, I, I think there's been some effort to do so. I think clearly uh, it's an exaggerated uh, project. It's politically motivated project. At the same time, we've gotten to a position that's so crazy that literally every single founder would probably be canceled, not only by those on the left, by many on the right for things that they've said and they've done. And so we need to kind of reevaluate what that actually means going forward. What's the proper orientation toward history? Can we focus on the good or not the good? And generally speaking, how interpretations of these past historical figures are used to reinforce and promote contemporary political narratives. It's all part of you know the, the propaganda wars and separating the fact from the fiction is part of that, but it's also you know, uh, learning how to address the actual facts and use those to the advantage of the country rather than its continued disadvantage. Any surprise to you at all that they gave this, despite the major historical inaccuracies, they gave the 1619 Project a Pulitzer? Not at all. Not at all. It's what I'm saying. There, There is no possibility of a prestige prestigious award of the sword, the Pulitzer. This this woman, she also got a MacArthur Fellowship, I believe, the so-called Genius Fellowship. There is no prestige now in the United States because there's no underlying consensus which could, which could serve as the basis of prestige. All of these formerly prestigious institutions and awards have been overtly and crudely politicized, and it's now all about a naked exercise of power. Darren Beatty, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you, sir.
During his time in office, President Donald Trump promised to fight back against the far-left influence in the way history is taught in American schools, a promise he tried to fulfill with establishing the 1776 Commission. Mike Gonzalez was a member of that commission. He's going to join us next. As a counter to the New York Times' 1619 project and the rising tide of anti-American sentiment in America's schools and history books, the Trump administration established the so-called 1776 Commission, a 16-member group tasked with delivering a report on the core principles of the American founding and how these principles may be understood to further the enjoyment of the blessings of liberty. The report read in part, America's founding principles are true not because any generation, uh, generation including our own, has lived them perfectly, but because they are based upon the eternal truths of the human condition. Above all else, these principles recognize the worth, equality, potential, dignity, and glory of each and every man, woman, and child created in the image of God. Of course, as one of his first acts as president, Joe Biden dissolved the commission. Joining us now is the author of The Plot to Change America, How Identity Politics is Dividing the Land of the Free, senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation, Mike Gonzalez. Thank you, Buck, for having me. Very happy so, to be on with you. Tell us, what was the purpose of the 1776 report of which you were a part? Just to make sure that uh, American students have access to the founding documents, to primary uh, sources, to the Declaration, the Constitution, the Federalist Papers, the, uh, the, the, the Northwest Ordinance, the speeches, the sermons that were made at the time. It was, as uh, Charles Kessler, one of the commissioners, said, a, a rebaptism in the Declaration and the Constitution. Obviously, I am of the opinion, and so were all the other commissioners, that there's a need for a counterbalance to what is being done by the 1619 Project. But the 1619 Project is not alone, obviously. We have Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States. There's a whole revisionism ink that has been trying to change what they think is the narrative of the United States. They don't look at history as, as, as including real things that happened, just this facts, not nonpartisan facts. Uh, they look at it as a narrative of, of the, 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 the oppressor class that it needs to be replaced with a counter narrative. In fact, the 1619 Project itself says it tries to reframe American history. The 1776 report came under uh, fire immediately from the left, Mike. There was a CNN headline that read, Trump administration issues racist school curriculum report on MLK Day. Uh, how would you respond to that? Well, it gets uh, many things wrong. I, I actually wrote about that headline. You know, Buck, I, you know this about me. I was a journalist for 20 years covering wars and, and all, over the, all over the world. Uh, I, I'm ashamed. But that, that report, that CNN report, first of all, we did not offer a curriculum. It could turn into a curriculum. It was a report, and it, it, which we sent to the White House. And it was not racist. And there was nothing in the body of the CNN story that even bothered to show a, a scintilla of evidence that we were racist. In, or there was anything racist in the report. And in fact, all the criticism has been so clutching at straws. Obviously, we struck a nerve because the, 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 the commission was revoked in, on Biden's first day in office. 
I think the first thing he did was sign that that executive order. And but also with the journalists and, and all the academics, it, it has struck such a nerve, but nobody has been able to point out a single inaccuracy, unlike with the 1619 project. And of course, with that that work of fiction by that fabulous Howard Zinn, which is all made up. Now, what does revoking the commission, I mean, the report is out, I've seen the report, people can can see it as well, it's, it's out there. What is revoking the commission doing? Why would Biden get to this on day one? Well, re- revoking is the, the, the term that he used in the executive order, I'm sure he didn't write it himself. I guess they, what he did was rescind the charge of the commission. Right, but what um, does that mean? It means that we're no longer existent, according, we no longer advise the White House. However, we remain, to our mind, we remain a commission. We have a two-year remit. We're going to continue to meet. Uh, what he did also was removed the uh, our report from the White House uh, uh, website. It is now, I believe, in the National Archives, but it is also at, at, at the Heritage Foundation, heritage.org. It is at Hillsdale. Hillsdale. It's very accessible. Um, and in the... You should know this, by the way, not to get off target, but the, the 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 revoking of the commission came in an executive order that did many bad things. It really puts a, a disparate impact on on steroids and does a lot of other bad things. And I'm writing about this this executive order, which is very very bad in, uh, at this time. What are the parts of the 1776 commission that that do bother the left so much? Because clearly, for this to be something we we saw it, that Joe Biden in his first day in office revoked this. Why did this, for for lack of a better word, why did this trigger them so much? You're talking about the Constitution, the history. What are the parts of this that anger them? Well, I'm, I've, been, I've been delighting myself reading the criticism over the last week. And the, the most recent one I read was from a professor I was laying in on, on the CNBC website. And, and a, a, two of the criticisms struck me as completely odd. It said that we made a mistake by declaring that America was exceptional and also by discussing slavery, not as a national American issue only, but as a global issue. Well, obviously we are exceptional in that we're the only country in the world that derives its legitimacy from the recognition of natural rights and and, and by stating that the government exists to protect these natural rights. No other government, you can go to the UN uh, nation role all the way from Albania to Zimbabwe, no other country bases itself and its institutions on natural rights. Um, so we're exceptional in that sense. In the case of, of slavery being a global issue, that is something that the left tried. The left has a project here. It wants to denigrate America in order to change America. But slavery, the founders are writing this in the middle of, 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 of a world where slavery festered in many places. In, in the country where I was born, Cuba, slavery started in 1511. And it lasted all the way to 1888, much later than in America. My paternal grandfather was born in Havana, understood, you know, while slavery existed. Uh, apparently, to some professors, we're not allowed to say that. We have to pretend the falsehood that America invented slavery and that capitalism stems from slavery. None of it, none of which is true. Mike, appreciate the work you're doing on this. Thanks so much, and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. We'll be back with more of this Hold the Line special, History Under Siege, after the break. It all started with Christopher Columbus 
Across the country, statues of the Italian explorer were attacked, vandalized, and in many circumstances, torn down by left-wing mobs. Next, the mob went for Andrew Jackson, a statue of the seventh president directly across from the White House, and that was targeted for destruction. Of course, it didn't stop there. Then they went for Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, Ulysses S. Grant. It seemed no one was safe from the left-wing rage mobs for a while there, and I mean no one. In late January of last year, a statue of Mahatma Gandhi was torn down in the city of Davis, California. Yeah, that, that, that Gandhi, the Gandhi. It would be one thing if these incidents were simply the spasms of an angry mob, but powerful Democrats appear tolerant of these actions. In some cases, they even encourage it. They feel like, hey, this is expression. Here's how Nancy, uh, Nancy Pelosi, House Speaker, responded when she was asked about a statue of Columbus being torn down. Now remember, Pelosi's Italian. Columbus being torn down in her native Baltimore. Shouldn't that be done by a commission or the city council, not a mob in the middle of the night throwing it into the harbor? People will do what they do. It, it, it's a, it is a, I do think that from a safety standpoint, uh, it would be a good idea to uh, have it taken down if the community doesn't want it. People will do what they do, Nancy says. Right, sure. Uh, also, I think it's fascinating that she believes that the destruction of public property, the only concern is we don't want people who are destroying that public property to have it fall on them while they're trying to lop off its head with a chainsaw or spray paint it or whatever they're doing. What's behind the left's hostility towards statues and monuments? Is it part of a larger effort to just undermine and attack U.S. history? Joining us now is assistant editor at American Greatness, Pedro Gonzalez. Pedro, good to have you join. Thanks for having me. This, uh, it's, I'm a big fan of your show, Buck. Oh, thanks so much. I mean, let, let, let's be very clear. There were, initially, uh, there were Confederate generals and, and members of the Confederacy. Those statues were attacked. And a lot of people said, you know, well, there's a, re- there's a real debate here. Should these be in a museum? Should they not? Okay, fine. But, but conservatives are pointing out, hold on. This is not the same thing as destroying a statue right? having a debate about whether it should be in a place of honor. It's not the same thing as just going in and tearing it apart yourself as part of a mob. And also... It was never going to stop at Confederate generals, and it didn't as he went through the list. So what's going on here, Pedro? So I think the first point is the most important one, and that is that there was no limiting principle on this. And those of us that did make that point that, look, once you go down this road, there's no turning back. And it starts with Robert E. Lee, and then it goes from Lincoln to uh, Teddy Roosevelt to Benjamin Franklin. There's really no limiting principle on this, even as you pointed out, uh, some statues of uh, Spaniards and even Catholic uh, friars have come down as well. So that's the most important thing is we can't let that slide. The people that were making excuses for this or saying, well, let's, let's, let's settle on the Confederate statues. I don't think they should get off the hook. That's important. And the second part is I think there's two aspects to this. On the one hand, you have, I think, that the really obvious part, and that's this really uh, oligarchic party, the Democratic Party, trying to kind of rehabilitate its image. Uh, because as, as I'm sure you know, corporations through their weight uh, really behind the Democratic Party, this election cycle, the, the irony of this is, you know, Donald Trump, the, the billionaire, actually had fewer billionaire backers than his opponent. So I think you have that, that uh, the Democratic Party is just trying to slap a kind of pride sticker on their face and, and the BLM sticker on their face and say, you know, we're different now. We're not actually this this party that is totally beholden to corporate interests. Uh, so we'll help you tear down these statues. I think that that's, that's one part of it. The other part of it I think that is, mis, is misunderstood is that th- this isn't nihilism and it's not misguided. This is something like civilization building. 
because the the public holidays, heroes, the symbols, the statues, the songs, the anthems, all of that, those are the things that give a people meaning. And with that meaning comes identity. And so if you deprive a people of identity by depriving them of their statues and symbols and heroes and icons, that people may as well cease to exist because they have no sense of identity, no sense of meaning, and therefore no sense of purpose. Pedro, so as I you think mentioned, that, it's, not, it's not just statues yeah. and monuments. You know, in California, yes. left-wing school administrators are trying to change the names of, of schools, right? They've right. targeted yes. left-wing Senator Dianne Feinstein even for deletion. Right. I mean, <laughs> you brought up no limiting principle. So now who can we name schools after? You start to wonder. Uh, we can name them after an increasingly small roster of authorized figures. And some of these are nonsensical uh, in the sense that if you actually would think it through, you, you would realize that uh, these are problematic, like Cesar Chavez, who has become a kind of left-wing icon, especially on the immigration, the pro-immigration left, right? Which is really funny because Cesar Chavez was vehemently opposed not just to illegal immigration, but also legal immigration. He understood that immigration... Uh, is one, bad for workers, and two, that it it basically completely defeats the purpose of having unions when uh, not just, you know, their wages are being suppressed, but if you have like a strike or something at a farm, the farmers don't need to hire you if they can just bring illegals from across the border to do your work. So that's, that's again, this this roster is is shrinking all the time. In, in many cases, it doesn't make sense. Uh, but but the point is, is that this is... Uh, we, we shouldn't write this off as silly. It's actually something, I think, very serious and with very dire consequences in well, the future. And, and increasingly, it seems like you brought up Cesar Chavez. I think that in most, uh, probably all, major Democrat cities right now, if you were naming the school, you'd have a better chance of calling it Che Guevara High than you would <laughs> Benjamin, Benjamin Franklin. Right. Yeah, no, that's true. And again, funny thing is Che Guevara did not have uh, kind views of homosexuals. So... All of these left-wing characters that the left props up, it's all done with a kind of cognitive dissonance in the sense that they cherry-pick basically aspects of their heroes that they like and then ignore other ones because it's really all towards the same purpose, and that is really just uh, tearing down the existing normative culture and therefore the existing civilization and building a new one in, in its stead. How do you have a... A, a sort of counter-iconoclasm movement? How, how do we get you know, the, the opposition? Yes, of course, we, we make the case, but uh, other than just trying to convince people not to engage in mob acts of vandalism and not to abandon our, our whole history, what, what can be done here? Because it feels like they're continuing the, the statue, you know, head choppers and destroyers out there they continue to gain ground because we're always the ones trying to hold it, hold it up and hold it together. And those who want to tear down, they just keep adding to the, to the, the inanimate body count, so to speak. Right. I think this is difficult to do without institutional power. And that is what we don't have right now. We think we, we had the opportunity to really consolidate that under Trump. We missed that opportunity. So now we're kind of in a survival uh, phase where we've got to ride it out as best as we can. But I think the things that we can start doing now is, as we talked about in the beginning, is to start revisiting these arguments uh, basically for compromise, that we should allow them to take down Confederate statues and, and really uh, bring home that point of there is no compromise with, with these people uh, because they have no intention of stopping. 
uh, any argument that these people launch against you for taking down the statue of like Ben Franklin or Teddy Roosevelt, it, it's usually from a point of bad faith. So don't bother. And I, so I think that there needs to be a, a kind of disciplining on the right and disciplining in the sense of like, let's get sober and realize that uh, you, you can't come to the table with these people and, and compromise on, well, okay, we'll take down this statue or this flag or something uh, because ultimately you're going to lose that. And, and you're actually just uh, hurting the people that you claim to be defending. And that's everyday Americans who are still patriotic and are still fond of people like Andrew Jackson and uh, people like Thomas Jefferson. So yeah, I think there's that's going to be a lot of statue toppling in the in the months and years ahead. I'm I'm sorry to say, but we will continue to do what we can to hold it all hold all the madness back. Pedro, thanks so much for joining. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's all the time we have for this special edition of Hold the Line: History Under Siege. Have a great one, everybody. Shields high.